the volume. Oral Sessions is presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. There's no better place to bet the action than on FanDuel Sportsbook during the football season. FanDuel is the best. They're America's number one sportsbook. It's so easy to use, safe and secure. What more do you need to hear here? There's fast payouts too, as quick as two hours. What a turnaround. And there's so many different bet types as well. as same game parlay bets, live betting, player props, futures. There's risk-free bets and the same game parlay bets, enhanced odds markets. There's so much more. It's fantastic. It will not let you down. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and get started now. Sign up with the promo code Renee so that they know that I sent you. Disclaimer, 21 plus and present in Arizona, Colorado, Connecticut, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, Virginia, or West Virginia. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat for Connecticut. 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG for Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, and Virginia. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. Tennessee Redline, 1-800-889-9889 in Tennessee. Or visit www.1800gambler.net for West Virginia. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette. This is where we mash up the best of the week. We take our interviews from Tuesday and Thursday, what those episodes were. We take those highlights. We put them together all here in one convenient place for your listening pleasure. Uh, hopefully you guys enjoy what we've put together here for you guys. And if you want to go back and listen to these interviews in their entirety, you can do that right here where you're listening as it is. Um, so anywhere you guys are listening to podcasts, you can go back and find those full length interviews. But otherwise we've, uh, we've done a little bit of heavy lifting for you and gave you guys some of the highlights from what, from what you want to hear. But you know, we're so lucky with all the amazing guests that we have on oral sessions that I'm sure if you're fans of these people, you're going to want to go back and hear more of their story here, more of who these people are and what makes them tick and what has led to their success, all that fun stuff. Um, I love what I get to do here and I love getting to chat with all these interesting and fascinating people. It's a hell of a time. And yeah, now we just get to do a little best of here on the weekend. So here we go. Let's get into it. Here's the best stuff from this week on oral sessions. Here we go. Eric Bischoff joining me here on Oral Sessions. How are you doing? What's going on? Your man cave. Is that even a man cave or is that just like the house? Because it looks stunning. Well, first it was called the dog house because it originally, before I added on to it, was a large dog kennel because I used to raise and train hunting dogs. Well, I got out of that and looked at that thing and I went, huh, that would make a great bunkhouse. So it's a separate living quarters on our property aside from the house, but this is where I hang out most of the time. You have had so many jobs. I feel like, I mean, at every turn, you have done it all. You have such a insane and impressive and interesting resume. I was like running through it today from like being a butcher to you worked in in, in veterinary stuff at some point. Is that true? Yeah, I don't know where you find that. You got to be careful with a little bit of that. But what, what Wikipedia just, is not always reliable source. That was such a nice way of saying I'm basically unemployable. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I think it's great, though. And I want to dive into all of those things that you've been able to do. But I'll just start where we should start is, of course, a WWE, because the last time you and I were able to have any kind of an interaction would have been when you were brought in to SmackDown. 
What was that experience like for you? Uh, I know it was, you know, fairly brief and you and I really didn't have much interactions then. What was that like? What, what happened? What was it like? It was surreal just from the get go because I had never contemplated getting back into the wrestling business again. I was perfectly content and satisfied with looking at my career in my rearview mirror, as they say. And then just through a series of coincidences, primarily my relationship with Bruce Pritchard and some changes that were concurrently going on in WWE. I got a call one day from Bruce and said, Hey, things are changing here. There's a new approach to things and it's completely different. And we need someone to take on this role. Would you be okay if I threw your name in a hat? And I thought, well, sure. You know, not really seriously believing that that would go anywhere, but also, you know, deep downside, I was hoping it would because all of a sudden, you know, what was in my rear view mirror was quite possibly right in front of me again. And it was really exciting from that respect. And then I had a couple of meetings with Vince and the team. And next thing I knew I was on, my, I packed up my truck and moved to Stanford, Connecticut, y'all. Yeah. Giddy up. Look out Stanford coming in hot. What a place to move to. What was it like packing up and going to Stanford? Cause it's not a great spot to land. I, I personally don't love Stanford. I know there's some beautiful spots in Greenwich and like around Connecticut, but what was that like uh, making that move so far out East? That was one of the hardest parts of it, you know, um, at least initially. <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> As that list continues to grow. I live in a pretty unique place. I, I worked most of my adult life for the ability to live here. I really love Wyoming. I love the space around me. I love the mountains. I love I love everything about Wyoming. I've had a house here since 1998. And the longer I'm here, the more I love it. So literally within a three-week window, going from sitting out on my deck in my robe with my dog drinking coffee in the morning to waking up in a corporate apartment in Stanford was a kind of a culture shock for me. Here's where I kind of screwed up from the get-go. I didn't anticipate how hard that would be for me because I've always been really adaptable by virtue of the fact that I've had so many jobs I've had to learn to be. And I've always known that about or believed that about myself until I got to Stanford. And it, it was really more of a challenge for me, at least initially, than anything. It was just getting used to being in a city and not having access to the things that I realize now how much I really, really enjoy and I'm are important to me. It's really funny when that happens because I've always considered myself very adaptable as well. I'm like, I think I could thrive in any situation, throw me into it, and I think that I can figure it out. But um, John and I lived in Las Vegas for the past six plus years, and I just could not adapt to it no matter how much. And that's, you know, quite a long time to not adapt to something. And now we just moved back to Cincinnati. Well, John's from here originally, but uh, new to me, but still being like closer on the East Coast, back in Eastern time zone, back in like a little more of a city, walkable city vibe. I'm like, holy crap, does it ever feel good to live somewhere that you want to live? You really like take that for granted. If you, you get used to certain things and you don't really realize how important that can be. That was really one of my big takeaways from that experience. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm really grateful for the experience and there's nobody in WWE that I worked with that I don't have an immense amount of respect. Well, there's one or two, but for the most part, I have a lot of respect for everybody there. I'm just kidding. Um, I can't think of anybody I don't have respect for quite honestly, but I really underestimated just how set in my ways I've become now because of that. I'm way more, it would take a lot to get me away from home now. It's not about the money anymore. It's not about 
anything else anymore. If I can find a way like I'm doing now, you know, speaking to you and doing my podcasts and, you know, different things that I do from home, bam, I'm the happiest man on earth. But if it means I got to get on a plane and go somewhere, <sighs> I'd rather chew off my own life. Thank Honestly, you. I know not being on the road now, I'm like, oh my God, the idea of getting on a plane and going to the airport sounds God awful. I do not miss that. I don't miss that at all. So your time in WWE, when you came back for SmackDown, what what was kind of your takeaway? And, you know, Bruce Pritchard saying to you, hey, everything here is uh, different. We're trying to change things. Did it feel different to you? You know, Renee, I'd, I'd never been in management before. My previous experience with WWE, although it was for three or four years, whatever it was, I was a talent. I'd fly in on Sunday night. I'd do Monday Night Raw. I'd get up Tuesday morning. I'd be home Tuesday afternoon. And there would be no communication usually during the week unless it was something really unique. So that was easy for me at that time. So I didn't know what, you know, things were like in the office. I didn't know what a difference would look like because I had no point of reference, right? You know, I will say, and Bruce was sincere and he was honest, there was an attempt And I'm sure some of the things that were going on in terms of restructuring and reorganizing creative and creating a SmackDown director and a Raw director, some some of those initiatives are probably still part of the WWE creative business model today. So I'm not suggesting that they completely abandoned what they were working towards. That would be a radical difference from what it had been, whatever that was. But it it was tough, man. You know the people there. You know the culture there. You know the guy at the top probably better than I do. You probably work closer with them than I did in some respects, uh, or for, at least for a longer period of time. But change isn't easy, especially when you've got somebody that is such a stickler for control. Very hard to change things when you got a guy that's writing the checks, so to speak, calling all the shots. Hard to get that guy to change. So some of it I'm sure worked. Some of it didn't. But I'm grateful for the opportunity to try. And I feel like the word that you use of like the attempt, I feel like there's always that attempt for change. You know, it always felt like they were on the cusp of like, we've got to change this. We want to try this new thing, you know, try to throw in some more pop culture references. These are the type of wrestlers that we're looking for. This is what we want our broadcasters to be like. There's always this feel of change in the air, but I feel like it's sort of a non-committal change because everyone always knows that we're essentially going to revert back to what the regular system is, which as it always is, is whatever Vince wants. It's hard to get that, that change to really happen and to really stick as much as you can bring in new people and you try these new ideas out. It can just be super, super hard to get changes truly implemented. It feels. I agree. We're basically saying the same thing from two different perspectives. And I think television needs to change, especially episodic television that's on 52 weeks a year, particularly when you've got the the sheer volume, five hours in prime time two of those hours on a major terrestrial network. You know, that's a lot of content. And that's part of the challenge, I think, is WWE has become a victim in many respects of their own success, massive global success. But because they're servicing that master global appetite, they've got to keep moving fast. They got to move fast. And I think there's always an urgency when you try to keep up with how television audiences are changing, how the competitive landscape is changing. And when you're faced with the sheer volume of content that WWE produces and there's the natural evolution of the audience and the entertainment that it searches for, it's tough to actually get anything done. Because in order to really affect a change and determine whether it's a good or bad change is you have to give it time. 
it's not like flipping a switch. You can't walk into a dark room, flip on a switch and go, oh, I can see everything now. Sometimes you got to let the audience adapt to the change in order to register whether it's a good change or not. Absolutely. It seems like there's that knee jerk reaction if something doesn't instantly stick that it's back to the original model, um, which, yeah, it sucks when you have, especially when you know that it is a good idea and has some legs or something that could, you know, get a little momentum behind it. Um, What were some of the ideas that you wanted to bring to the table to SmackDown? You know, I didn't go in with a lot of what people would consider creative ideas. And I told this to Vince, you know, before I agreed to come on board or he agreed to hire me, I should say is I hadn't been watching the product much. I'd drop in every once in a while, like I still do. I probably watch it a little bit more now because I find myself being asked questions about current product. And I feel like a knucklehead, but I don't know anything. So I'll pick out certain things that are topical and I'll tune in to see how they're progressing. And I didn't even do that back then. Every once in a while, there was nothing else on and I was in the right mood. I'd drop in on wrestling for 20 minutes or a half an hour and I'd bail out and go do something else. So I didn't go in with a lot of, hey, what if we have a match between this guy and this guy? And what if that match leads to rest? I didn't come, nothing like that. But one of the things that I was, that I am disappointed in myself is that I really think what's missing, and this goes for WWE and everybody else that's producing professional wrestling for content, is the de-emphasis of story at a time when the audience is watching so much great, compelling story and great story structure and great characters on so many other platforms. I mean, scripted entertainment is probably more successful now than it's ever been. And wrestling, rather than gravitating towards a more sophisticated storytelling structure, not an angle that turns into a wrestling match, because that's what wrestling does. That's what wrestling's, well, almost always done. Right? Every once in a while, they'll stumble into a good story that'll really resonate, but it's more by accident than design. And I think that if wrestling today would reemphasize and introduce a more sophisticated storytelling formula, and that was, the, and I told Vince, here's what I see, where the opportunity lies. The audience is getting smaller and smaller for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is the story suck. They're just not stories. There's no structure to them beginning and middle and end is like thrown together haphazardly. That's not how stories are generally created. And they weren't when I was there last time. And I don't think they are anywhere else. There's a way to do it. And that's what I'm disappointed myself in is I I wasn't able to play the game or I wasn't able to manage myself well enough to be there long enough to really try to affect that change. Okay. So what do you mean by that? Like the way that you managed yourself, what would you have done differently or should have done differently? I mean, I've had a lot of time to think about this <laughs> and, <laughs> Good. And, and, you know, partly because I get asked that a lot and I have to, it's forced me to think about it. And here's where I fucked up. I went into WWE overly concerned about the way people perceive me. And by that, I mean, not as not me, not people that, you know, I meet on the street, but, but in a wrestling environment, there's been so much narrative about, how heavy handed I can be and difficult at times, which, you know, some of that's true. I I don't deny it, but it was, it's been way blown out of proportion. And it was really important to me. This is my error in judgment. It was more important to me to fit in to the system and eventually try to implement my ideas and the things that I wanted to do. I don't think that's what Vince wanted. 
Now looking back on it, I think, what if I would have gone in there and been the kind of alpha executive we all know Vince likes? And I could have done that because it's not alien to my nature to be very aggressive and focused. And sometimes that rubs people the wrong way. That's such a catch-22, though, because, I mean, I get where you're coming from with that, because, I mean, a big part of the wrestling culture is being able to fit in. People that don't fit in, they get booted as well. So, I mean, you're you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, that if you do go against the grain, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of shooting your shot. There's times that I think about that, too. I'm like, man, I, like, you know, even when I look back at my time on commentary and it wasn't a thing that I enjoyed, and I wish that... I had had a better relationship with Vince or more of a relationship with Vince. But at times I was just like, I kind of just want to like skirt by and I don't want to have these conversations because I don't feel like he wants to have these conversations with me that I wish that I had kind of extended that olive branch a little bit more, put myself out there more like knocking on his door and going to see him and talking to him and grill and all that. But it can be really hard to get Vince's ear. And I don't know if you felt that way when you were there being brought in and more of that executive role and being someone that, you know, obviously you'd be more familiar with coming in. But did you feel like it was difficult getting FaceTime with Vince? No. <laughs> in fact, I had way more of it than I wanted to. <laughs> My condolences. <laughs> no, no and, I, and look, I like Vince. Yeah, I, I do mean, too. we're not like, we're not like, let's go out to dinner friends, right? We're not ride or die friends, none of that. But I have a lot of respect for Vince. And I really disappointed in myself that I didn't manage myself better to get more of an opportunity to work with him. Here's where I made my mistake, though, because it is a catch-22, except I knew going in, based on not what I learned firsthand about Vince, I competed with the guy, right? I kind of knew what he was about from that perspective. Everything I've ever heard about Vince is he just wants you to come in and take control. He wants you to take ownership. He wants to be surrounded by aggressive people who approach their business in an aggressive way. That's who he is. Of course, he's going to want somebody just like him or as close to him or his approach to things as possible. And I went in taking the, uh, okay, I'm just going to work my way into the system. And when the time is right. And by the way, it would take me at least six months or more to really get to understand what my assets were, really get to understand the writers and what some were really good at and some weren't that good at. So you're not putting them into situations that they're probably going to fail at because you're just handing them assignments as opposed to really nurturing them and helping guide them into the types of scenes and writing that they're most successful at or could be most successful at. That just takes time. And then you got to get to know the talent and, and not just say, you know, backstage, hey, how are you? My name's Eric Bischoff. Hey, I know who you are. Yeah, okay, great. Let's get together and talk about your ideas. Okay, I got to get to a rehearsal. You know, that's not how you do that. You need to spend some time. At least I do. You know, maybe other people have different talents and they can, you know, look at somebody from across the room and go, okay, you'd be perfect at that. But I don't think that's true. What were production meetings like for you? I mean, that's sort of what I, like when you were there, I, I would always like kind of be at the back hanging out. I could see you at the front. I was like, what does Eric Bischoff think of all of this? When you stepped in and just like how the shows are put together and how those production meetings are run. I want to say this the right way. My first visceral reaction was this is a fucking waste of a lot of time. You do not need all of those people in that in one large meeting. And when you're going through a format, I don't give a shit. I don't need to know when a graphic is going to hit. The guys in the truck need to know that. They should have their own production meeting. And to spend two hours going over that stuff that you really only needed about an hour tops, 45 minutes if you're focused, to get through. 
and then to tie up all of that staff who are not doing other things that they could actually be doing that actually would make a difference. And holding your pee for like hours on end. Oh, that's the worst part. By the way, we worked on all that stuff during the week before we got to TV. It isn't like this is the first time anybody's ever seen this shit, right? So then you sit through that two hour, three hour production, whatever the hell it was. Oh, by the way, and while you're sitting there starving because you haven't had lunch yet, you're watching Hunter and Vince and you know, pounding down filet mignon and sushi while you're all sitting there sucking down warm coffee in a fucking styrofoam <laughs> cup. No, I thought that was a real waste of time. And then what a here's rabbit. the best part. Everybody does get to eat lunch. They go off and start doing the things that everybody thought they were assigned to do at the end of that prolongated luncheon for the McMahon family and its extended clan. And then you find out, oh, we're tearing this shit up and we're going to start all over again at five o'clock. <laughs> oh my God, the stress and the anxiety of like, hey, what are we doing? What's going on? All right, we got a couple hours of showtime. Wait, the show's being rewritten. Okay, great. We'll sit and wait. And we're not talking about just let's take this match and move it from segment three to segment six, or somebody got hurt in the back. So let's rebook another match and figure out a way to explain it and make sense out of it. It's not that. It's. Yep. The old man's we're working on the show. Up. He's rewriting the whole thing by himself. Renee, I don't know if you had this experience, but I, I was literally, there were times like 15 minutes before showtime and we're rewriting scenes. We would be going out there to the commentary desk with nothing, with nothing. We'd be waiting for Sweet Tamario to bring us our script so that we're like, okay, this is what's going on. But sometimes I enjoy that as like the performer side in me is like, all right, let's throw shit against the wall and see what's going to happen. But like, oh my God. Here's the other side of that, because I'm grateful for that experience. I know it sounds like I'm, you know, slamming on them, but I'm not. I'm just telling the truth. And, and you ask me how it made me feel. I don't know that how it made everybody else feel. They may have dug it. They may have felt it was valuable. I'm just telling you from my perspective, because I kept thinking, what would I do if I was taking this over? First thing I would do is change this meeting format because we're wasting tons of freaking time. But let's be honest, it's working for them. Yeah. It's a tough formula for people to adapt to. It's tough for someone like me because of the way I think and the way I prefer to work. It's tough on talent but it's working. It works for them and people work under pressure. So you're right. It is what it is. There's times that you're like, I feel like time could be managed a little bit better. We could be a little bit more productive with X, Y, and Z, but I don't know nothing. I do know one thing. If Bruce calls me after this show hits the air and says, Hey, do you want to come back to Connecticut? I know what the answer is going to be. <laughs> no can do. Or it has to be for an astronomical sum to get you out of Wyoming. I don't think this is enough money anymore. You can only be so happy with money. I went on a date last night. Oh, okay. Where'd you guys meet? What was the deal? What happened? What's her? What, don't tell us her name. Um, where? What did you guys? What app were you on? Facebook dating. Is this new? I guess it is because they they said because Facebook popped up with an ad. Would you like to try Facebook dating? I was like, you know what? I will. Why not? Let's do it. This is how people meet. Now I'm not going to meet somebody at a grocery store because who eats the same shit that I do? Nobody. Nobody. Well, if you did, you would have to marry this woman. If you guys met both reaching for the same box of all brand, you would have to marry this woman. And then I would tell you, get that pantsuit ready, honey, because <laughs> dun, 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 dun. steamed and pressed. No prob. So we were talking for a couple of weeks on that thing and I forget about it. So like I like I forget it exists. Like I have a habit of not following through. And that's one of the things that I've been working on is my lack of follow through when it comes to things that I don't find 
incredibly pressing. I don't find dating pressing. I, I, I don't find the bullshit conversation of you trying to get to know me during the interview process to see whether or not I'm a creep or a killer. And then you can meet me because that's the thing. Now that's like these pressing fears and you have to respect that. I get it. Totally. Guys are creepy. They say weird shit. You open up your DM. You're probably going to get a dick pic. Nobody likes a dick pic. No, like don't do that guys. Listen, if don't you're single, do don't put pictures of your penal on the internet. Don't, don't do that. Mm-mm. So we start talking and, and we had a mutual friend. He goes to my gym And then he like put in a really good word. And the next thing you know, like she's now she wants to go on a date. Cool. We went on a date. We went to go see House of Gucci. Oh, how was that? It is the most ridiculously fun movie I've ever seen. Now, it's supposed to be a murder mystery, like drama thing. But there are several points where I'm laughing because of the ridiculousness of this movie. It has to deal with opulence and wealth and greed and Jared Leto in prosthetics pretending to be Paolo Gucci. I saw the trailer for that and I was like, that's Jared Leto? What? Yeah, he gets all into it, man. He's what a like thespian. Really is an Academy Award winner. Absolutely love, love Jared Leto. I like Jared Leto too. I like him. Terrible Joker, but I like him. I would disagree just because he was playing it differently and we only seen him in bits and pieces. If we had a full standing Joker film, maybe it would be different. I think in like the annals of the Joker, I think it really is. I think Heath has surpassed Jack Nicholson's and Joaquin Phoenix is right up there as well. 100% agree. Yeah, I think it goes Heath, Nicholson, Joaquin. Oh God, Joaquin was so good though. I just, I have to keep Nicholson in the top two. You have to. And then you know what? We can round it out with Cesar Romero from the Batmans with the 60s right there as well. So Jared Leto's like skimming by in top five. Yeah, no, listen, I, I understand that. But he was, he was really over the top in it. And every time he was on, I could not help but laugh. Jeremy Irons was in this. He was great. The clothes were absolutely fantastic. They were a throwback I to bet. like late 70s. How was Lady Gaga? Is there anything the Gogs can't do? I fucking love her. I think she's great. I'll watch anything she does. She's spectacular. What a what a gifted woman. She carried a lot of that movie on her back. She sang it all in it? No. I wish. <laughs> no, but there was a lot of Donna Summers and like Italian disco played through it, which was really cool. Like I like this. I, I like the diegesis that they use throughout the whole film. Diegesis. What a word. It's just to aid like like the process of the film. It's it's called diegesis. Guys, Emilio Sparks, not just a wrestling encyclopedia. He's got it all. This is why I enjoy these episodes so much. You never know what's going to be thrown out your way. Okay, so back to the date. You guys go out and you see House of Gucci. Did you get it on afterwards? Did you smooch? What happened? We went to, after that, I was like, are you hungry? And she's like, I'm famished. I was like, listen, I got to break my fast. Now it's like two o'clock in the morning because that movie felt like it went on for fucking forever at that point. I don't know how you stay up so late. I am so, I fall asleep at 11 o'clock at the absolute latest. Listen, you have a child and like four dogs. So you got to do what you got to do. True. So we went to go get tacos at the best taco spot ever. And it's like this small little bodega spot. And we went in and we ate tacos and we bullshitted until like five o'clock in the morning. And then I, I dropped her off home, gave her a little pecky on the cheek. That's a classy move. I don't think people do that. It's either it's cut and dry. You're either kissing or you're waving goodbye. You gave a kiss on the cheek. I was smooth. That's 
Lovely. I like that. I don't think I've ever been kissed on the cheek in a in a in a moment like that. You have to. It's it's amazing. It's like, hey, let me not go in and do full tongue because you know both of us were eating tacos. I had zucchini flower tacos with, uh, you know, they were spicy. They hit, you know. But I had gum and she had gum and she flossed. I flossed. This is is what we do. You flossed on a date, Renee. She pulled out the floss and in the car, she's like, bang, 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 bang. She was like, you know what? I hope you don't mind this. I'm into like gum care. I was like, give me one of those. That's great. How many dates could you say you floss together? Not that kind of flossing, if you know what I'm saying. I'm all about (laughs) sharing moments. Yes. Let's floss. So you guys, would you feel that this was a connection? Uh, You know what? I I don't know. I I really, I'm not a, God, I'm really not a dater. But like, I would, I would do a date too. I would go on another one for sure. All right. Maybe like a dinner so we can actually talk and, and stuff like that. The movie is a good call on a date, so you don't have to, like, talk too much. You can kind of, like, is she laughing at the parts she should be laughing? Big test. Is she getting it? It is a big test. Yeah, huge test. Well, that's nice. Mostly the dating pool, honestly, is pissy chlorine water at this point. I will say, like, it, it makes me very grateful, especially during, like, I mean, just in general, I love being married, I love being in a relationship that, I mean, John and I have a great relationship. He's my dude. Wonderful. He's my guy. Love him. Big fan. Huge. Love him. But it's nice to be in a relationship when you're like so past the point of pleasantries where like, if I, if I feel like shit, if I have gas, if I don't want to slap on makeup, it's such a no pressure situation of like, uh, this thing's happening. Got to go deal with it. But when you're dating, it's just not like that. And it is so much work. I don't think I have the energy as a human being. If I were not married and not like it, where I am right now, I don't know that I would have the energy to date. I, I'm exhausted. Right. And I'm exhausted doing it too. And I don't even do it as much as certain people. I, I don't, I don't get it, but you know, did you have to do the work when you and John were courting each other. What do you mean? Like what kind like, of work? You know, you always wanted to keep up the appearance. You wanted to make sure that the eyeliner was always crispy. You wanted to make sure that, you know, the cheekbones were popping, that you had a good lip on. You wanted to smell good and look cute. Like, did you do the work? No. So there's two different ways to look at this. That one for sure. No, because for a majority of the time that we were together, we were on the road with WWE. Like we'd be in hotels together. We'd be, you know, traveling between towns. We'd be at the shows doing Raw, SmackDown, pay-per-views, whatever. So I was going through professional makeup. I would go to the makeup team and be fully done. I had on the outfits. I had my hair and my makeup done, but I am like, I, I'm not a huge makeup person. Like I love being done up and I love feeling pretty and put together. But if I put on legit makeup around John, I can see him just like looking at me, like trying to figure out what's going on. Especially if it's like a lip that is maybe a little questionable or like if if I am like trying too hard, he calls me out instantly he's like what's happening here but when i'm like i've not washed my hair for a couple days i'm just in my sweats that's the version that like that's what he wants which is great it's so low pressure to be like that but i also i'm like hey but like i should look like a nice pretty woman for at least once uh, once a week in his mind a reminder but in his mind the pretty woman 
is sweatpants, hair tied, chilling with no makeup on. That's when you're the prettiest. Thank you, Drake. I hope you don't take that wrong. Big shout outs to certified lover yeah. boy, Drizzy Drake. So, yes. you know, that that might be his ideal that version is, of that, beauty. That, that's what that is. Yeah, when I'm like done up or I'm like put on like a nice outfit, it kind of falls on blind eyes, I think. Like, because he's just like, whatever. He just sees me as like the the sweatpants. Like, I'm always just in workout clothes. I'm always in workout clothes. I usually, usually have on like a baseball hat. Like, I'm always just like bumming around because I got shit to do and I need to have on Clothes that allow me to do the things that I need to do. I'm usually carrying around a baby as well. She's getting very heavy. Holy crap, this kid. You can't go around full glam boots with the chicken strapped to your chest. No, no, no. My body is already crumbling under her weight. Um, So no, if I had to put on like a booty, sure. But like a full-fledged heel, absolutely not. So at what point do you stop holding the kid? Do you just put her in a stroller now at this point? A lot of times I do put her in a stroller now because like, okay, so there's a couple of things going on. One, she's heavy. It's not like she's like super heavy, but like, you know, you're walking around with 20 pounds all day and I consider myself a pretty athletic, pretty strong human being. Like I can lift heavy weights. I can get shit done. But now doing it all like and all, I will also say Cincinnati is all hills. So I'm constantly on an incline. So my calves, my ass, they're feeling it. Hopefully there's a payoff just around the corner. But uh, yeah, it, it's carrying her around. And also she still sleeps in bed with us. So I am constantly kind of wrapped around her. Like I sleep on the outside of the bed, sleep on the right side of the bed. So I'm always sleeping on my left shoulder. Guys curl around her. So my left shoulder is fucking dying. I will try to sleep on my back for a little bit. I did. We moved uh crib around to trying to like get, get her uh, situated in the bed. So it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. I mean, she has a room, right? She does, but I'm like, it's hard. She's only five months old. Let's keep this in mind. She's a a little cherubic doll. And she sleeps so well with me, and I get a great night's sleep. She gets a great night's sleep. So I don't really see the need to mess with that other than the fact that my body is crumbling. Breaking down right before your eyes. It is breaking down. Yep, it sure is. But hey, these things happen. This is what being a mom's all about, right? You just kind of take it on the chin and move on. Salute to you. I don't know if I would do it. Here's the thing that I would like to talk about, though, that is a real thing that I was thinking about this today is mom brain. So I've heard about mom brain and I just thought it was like, whatever. I just didn't think it would be a thing that affected me. What is mom brain? I'm dumb. I'm dumb. I am foggy. I feel like I have no attention span. I feel like I'm like a pretty good listener. I'm pretty alert. There's times that like people will be talking to me. I'm like, I don't have a fucking clue what you just said to me. Like it goes in one ear, right out the other. I don't know. It's just that I'm thinking about other things. I don't know. It's a it's a slippery slope though, and I'm on it. I'm slipping. Could it be instead of having just mom brain? Could it just be that your attention is dedicated to your child? Yes, but that I think is what mom brain is, where you are so inundated with baby information. And now I'm inundated with puppy information because we got this Doberman puppy that uh, needs to be trained. He's wild. He's wild. Has he pissed everywhere yet? Yes. He pisses everywhere. He shits everywhere. Our dogs are like blue, especially blue is an angel. He's such a good boy. 
So having a new puppy that I'm like, oh my God, right. I've not had a puppy in a long time. And uh, I mean, dogs are all different. I've never had a Doberman. So I'm like, how do I train this guy? So, but yes, my brain is filled with things of like, oh, I've got to Google this thing. Oh, I need to look up this. Right. I've got to get into the doctor to get her shots. By the way, the dogs need their shots and this needs to happen. Did anyone set up water at the house? Like it's all of these things that are running through my head all the time that I feel like my brain capacity as um, it's um, short circuited. And also don't forget to your immediate queen. And I'm the queen of Cincinnati. Radio shows, podcast, YouTube celebrity. So like when we do the podcast is one thing because we'll hop on here. I mean, you and I just get to, you know, shoot the breeze on here as we will. If if we were doing an interview, I've got, you know, I've done some research. I'm ready to interview whoever the subject happens to be. But when I'm doing the XM show and we're doing three hours worth of content, by the end of it, I'm like, have I said anything remotely interesting? Because I think I am like skating by because my brain is just dumb right now. I'm just dumb. I am stupid right now. And it's a, it's a crime to society. I don't think you're stupid. I just think it's you're in the middle of of a lot. House, Doberman. Oh, kid. my God. I, it's a full plate. My plate is it's it's seeping onto the table at this point. All right, Emilio, here's the thing. I, there's dogs. Losing their minds downstairs. My baby is crying. Time to go. I got to go. You got that festival of lights at the zoo. Hopefully an aardvok will lick your lice off your head. You good to go. That would be great. Oh, my God, please. Oh, my gosh. Honestly, get in there with your little snoot and help me out. Um, It's great to be back. We're going to have some guests lined up and we're going to knock this out of the park. We're going to show you why we have such a great YouTube and you can subscribe to that YouTube. However you want to do that, you can search Renee Paquette. You can do that. It's all over social media as well. You can follow Renee on Twitter and Instagram at Renee Paquette. You can follow me at Emilio Sparks. Help me get to maybe 10,000 by Christmas. Make that my Christmas gift. That would be a nice Christmas gift. That would be really nice. Let's keep on giving everybody. Hit Hit that follow button. And subscribe here. You have to subscribe to this podcast. So however you listen, rate, review, subscribe if you're a Apple podcast listener, write something nice about Renee. Give us all the pleasantries and then give us a five-star review. That's really important because once you do that, we get the computers putin and we move up the the ranks in this thing. Oh my God. Wait, before we go, we need to talk about getting my YouTube plaque. Yes. I got my YouTube plaque. I mean, we can talk about it here, but we should do a video on YouTube. Let's let's do it. Mine mine comes in two weeks. Great. Here we go. Want to do an unboxing? Yes, let's do that. Let's do that. All right, we did it because we have over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube now. Got a freaking plaque, y'all. I feel so cool. You are cool. Hey, man, I'm the queen of Cincinnati. That's me. Guys, it is so good to be back. I'm going to be on this microphone interviewing some of your favorite personalities from wrestling, from film, from television, from the music world. Whatever your little hearts desire, throw them my way. Bless up, y'all. Bye.